Let me say right up front that uh, this evening, uh, what I have to say will probably sound a little bit more like a talk than a sermon, simply because of the nature of the topic that we're considering this evening. And it's going to be quite, uh, quite a quick, in many ways, overview of what the Bible teaches. We're going to be covering quite a lot of ground. Um, if I were to bring up all that I was going to say in the form of points, the usual points that we have in a sermon, there'd probably be about 35 of them on the screen. So we're not going to have anything on the screen at all because it would simply be a distraction as you try to follow it. Also, for those of you who uh, often and regularly take notes, you might find it quite a challenge because we're going to cover a lot of ground. I'm going to make reference to quite a few scriptures, but there simply will not be the time to read them all or quote them all. So, to help you, on the table at the back on your way out, you'll find a little sheet like this. It's titled Qualifications of Elders. All the points that I'm going to bring this evening are on this sheet. All the Bible references that are important, many of which I won't even get to mention as I'm talking to you, they're all on here. Everything you'll need to be able to take away, think it through, pray it over, you'll find on here. So let me encourage you to take one of those sheets as you leave and to prayerfully think through these things. This is one of those messages where those who are elders of a church can actually feel the gaze of the members on the back of their necks and they find themselves wanting to slink down into their seat. It's very searching. It should be. It's a very important topic, but as I said just before, actually these are the things that ought to be found in the life of every Christian. Elders aren't an exclusive club. Not by any means. And... I trust that as we consider these things together, that the Lord will challenge all of us and encourage all of us under his word uh, to, to have in our lives all of those graces that should be found in the life of every Christian believer. But we do that by considering what is taught here regarding elders and when we get to deacons, we discover that it's virtually identical. The only real difference is that a deacon might be apt to teach, an elder must be. And that's almost the only difference between the two in terms of their qualifications. And it's all about character. It's not about gifting primarily. It's not about ability primarily. It's all about character. So if you have 1 Timothy chapter 3 open, and first of all, let's just address some of the words that the Bible uses, because in our New King James Version, we have a word used here that we ordinarily never use, bishop. Well, we know the Church of England has bishops. They're the ones who wear purple with their dog collar. Some other denominations use the word bishop. We tend not to, yet here it is. Uh, listed twice in the opening two verses of the Bible translation that we regularly use, a bishop. 
So what about these different words that we find in the scripture that are used interchangeably about this particular office within the life of a local church? Well, the Greek word is episkopos, from which we get the word episcopalian that you might know of. The, the Anglican church in, the, in America is, is known as the Episcopal church. And the word literally means a, a superintendent or as it's often found in, in the Bible and other translations have this word, overseer, an overseer. And there are actually several words employed in the New Testament to describe the role of an elder. There is this word, the bishop or the overseer. Uh, there's the, the word pastor. Uh, we find that, of course, uh, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, the word pastor uh, has attached with the picture of a shepherd, an under-shepherd, under the good shepherd, over the flock. It has that connotation to it. Uh, and then the word elders, uh, that's the most common. You find 17 references to elders across the book of the Acts of the Apostles and the, the New Testament letters. And on three occasions in the book of Hebrews, they're also described as those who rule over you. So there's all these different words and phrases that are used to describe this one office within the church. Uh, some today would draw some significant differences between certain roles and functions that elders might have. There, there might be a senior elder or a senior pastor or a senior teaching pastor. There might be a, a pastoral pastor, uh, teaching elder, ruling elder, and so on. There are a few hints in the New Testament that perhaps there were a few subtle differences uh, between some of the elders within the early church. But, of course, we note that the only, the only thing that is ever said about them is, is found here. Uh, regardless of what their actual function may or may not be within the life of, of any one church, the, the qualifications still are the same for all of them. And really, these roles are one and the same. I personally consider them all to be one and the same. I, it, it continues to be uh, something of a, a mystery to me uh, that of the three men who we currently have in the church serving as elders, I'm the only one who ever gets called a pastor. They are just as much a pastor as I am. Uh, that's partly the tradition of uh, Baptist churches. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not head and shoulders above the other two by any means. I'm not the, the, the uh, preeminent one amongst us as elders by any means at all. Uh, the three of us are equal as elders, bishops, overseers, pastors, whatever you wish to call us in the life of a local church. And we're told in uh, the end of verse 1 there that the position of bishop, elder, is, is a good work to desire. Uh, having the desire is not so much the issue, I think, but desiring to be qualified for it. To desire to, to have that which would qualify you 
for this role. The office of church elder has been established by Christ through the apostles and it's said to be a good work. So it's an office which needs to be respected and honoured within the life of a local church, that it's described as a work, emphasises the fact that it's not just an honorary title that's given to someone. There is actually something that elders do within the life of a church. And so, what is it? Uh, What does it mean? Well, that's what we need to remind ourselves of from the Scriptures over these next couple of weeks. Uh, And the Bible uh, provides us uh, with a number of different ways that we can consider uh, this office within the life of a local church. We're not going to have time to elaborate on any of these things, and actually most of them are really straightforward and they're very simple to understand. But let's consider uh, what, it, what it is that this role is within the life of a church. Well, let's think first of all about what it is that elders do. Because it's a work, so what do they do? Well, there's a whole load of ways that you can think about the work of an elder in a church. I've got ten, so we are going to go through them quite quickly. Well, first of all, elders shepherd, because one of the titles that they have is pastor. The role of a shepherd is to order. The role of a shepherd is to protect. The role of a shepherd is to provide. And these primarily are spiritual works that they do within the life of the local church. They provide and maintain order within the church. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, that everything must be done decently and in order. And so one of the things that the elders do is to make sure that everything is being done decently and in an orderly fashion within the life of the church. But spiritually, the elders are there to protect and to provide. To provide spiritual nourishment through the Word of God. To provide spiritual and doctrinal protection over the church so that you're kept from error and heresy and kept on the right track biblically and spiritually. They shepherd the flock. They provide spiritual food through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God so that the sheep in the flock have all that they need to be fit and healthy and to keep on. They are to equip. Every member of the church needs to be kitted out to work and serve in the body of Christ. And so there's an equipping that takes place. And again, primarily this is done through the Word of God. To bring you that which you're in need of in order that you might grow and in order that you might serve the Lord. There's an equipping role. But everything that the elders do always comes back to the Bible. Because this is our only authority. This is our only manual for how to do things. This is our guidebook and our instruction book as a church and as Christian believers. So the work and role of the elders always and again and again comes back to the word of God within the life of the local church. There's to be edification. Believers need to be nourished for growth. They need to be strengthened to endure. But all of this is found in Christ in and through the word of God. In order that you might be strong as a Christian. 
The elders are to teach. This is number four. They're to teach. Because the word of God is our sole authority. The word of God is to be our only rule in faith and conduct. And so the role of the elders is to bring all of us back to the Bible again and again and again. We are to guard. We are to guard biblical doctrine. We are to guard you from error. We're to guard you from those things that might cause you to go astray, that you might be brought back. Jesus said that the, the gate by which we enter the path which leads to heaven is a narrow gate. It has to remain narrow. The role of the church is not to make the gate wider so that people might find it easier. It is a narrow gate. It's very specific. It has, the, the, this narrow gate is very clearly defined in the word of God. It must continue to be. The path that that narrow gate leads to, said Jesus, is a difficult path. It's the broad road that leads to destruction that's the easy one. These are Jesus' words. It's a difficult path. And so you need to be edified, you need to be taught, you need to be guarded in order that you may stay on that path and do so with endurance and with gladness and with faithfulness. The elders are to exemplify the elders are to be an example in all of these things to other believers. What a challenge that is. That the elders example what it means to be a Christian. The elders are to pray. The elders are to give themselves to prayer. There was that problem in Acts chapter 6 in the early church in Jerusalem where there was a, a huge row breaking out about the distribution of bread amongst those who were needy in the church, especially amongst the widows. And the elders said, it's not good for us to serve tables. Now when they said that, what they were not saying is this, it's beneath us to serve tables. And that's not what they were saying before. These are the men who had their own feet washed by Christ as an example of what it is to serve. Now I've missed out something that they also said. It's not good for us to leave the word in order to serve tables. The word of God has to be central. And if in our serving tables, the word of God is neglected, that's not good. The word of God and the teaching of it has to remain. And so as elders, we must give ourselves to that. Therefore, let us find others to do the serving at the tables so that the, wor the, word of the, wo the work of the word is not neglected. That was the issue. And then it is said, we will give ourselves to the word and to prayer. And they are the two key things for elders. It's all word-based. And it's about giving themselves to prayer. The elders are to pray. 
Number eight on the list of ten, they are to exhort and to correct and to discipline. Now actually, as we read through the Bible, we discover that as church members, we all have a duty and a responsibility towards one another for this. This isn't exclusively <coughs> the role of elders, but the elders do need to do it. Exhortation, encouragement, correction, discipline. And it's for everyone's spiritual good. And it's for the building up of the whole church that this is done. And the elders rule and oversee the church. But it's a very, it's a very special kind of ruling that the elders do in the church. It's ruling by the word. It's ruling by bringing the word of God to bear upon all of us. So that all of us are living in obedience to the word. So it's a very special kind of ruling. And we're going to learn that's more said on, the, on this subject. But they have this spiritual, biblical rule and oversight of the church. This, this is the, the task and the responsibility that they bear. It's a very grave responsibility that elders bear. This is why you should constantly be praying for all elders for the elders in this church and those who you know in other churches we've got Gerard with us here uh, pastor down at Amian Park those of you who know him and love him you need to pray for him what an onerous task it is that they have and the tenth thing is serving it's all done as a servant We're told to serve the church as overseers. It's an interesting turn of phrase. Normally you're either the servant or you're the overseer. Elders, we read, are both. They serve the church as overseers, but they're to be servants. They're to have the heart of a servant. They're to have the attitude of a servant in all that they do. So that's what elders do. But I'm very glad that the, the Bible also tells us, secondly, how elders are to do it. And this is important. And here's the first one. Not as lords over the people. There's no place for tyrannical despots amongst the elders. There's no place for beating people with sticks. There's no place for inflated egos, ruling it, dominating people. Not as lords, not lording it over the congregation. They're to do it as labourers, diligent, active, hard work within the life of the church, the scriptures say. Elders are to do this serving willingly and eagerly. It's a role to be undertaken freely and gladly and wholeheartedly and with commitment and dedication. It's to be done earnestly. And the word that's actually used is, uh, it means with tears. The kinds of things that we read about the Apostle Paul, the, the way he talks about the way churches and Christians lay upon his heart 
the way he prays for them, that earnestness. And also, the work of the elder is to be done with gentleness and with affection as a loving parent. That's how Paul talks of himself uh, with the church. A, a great picture of selfless giving and humility. And these are such challenging things that the scriptures lay down for us uh, that are to be seen in all of us as Christians. As a church, we require one another to be like this towards everybody else. And so it's a, it's a monumental task that, that is laid before us in the Bible that, that we find certain men within the life of the church who are able to be appointed to this particular office. And the thing that really strikes you as you read through these scriptures, and I would encourage you to take one of the sheets and, and just read through the scriptures. Just take your time to read them through. And the thing that comes across again and again is that we notice what we're not to ask is, what can they do? The question that has to be asked is, how will they be? How will they be is far more important than what can they do. The first consideration is not their capabilities. Their first consideration is their character. The first consideration is not their gifts. The first consideration is their graces. The first, uh, the first consideration is not their charisma. It's their consistency. It's about character. Is capability of any importance? Well, yes. What about their gifting? Well, yeah, that will have its place. And they will have some bearing on the issue, but first of all comes character and grace and consistency. That's what Christ wants to see in all of us as his people. The character of Christ coming through, the nature of Christ coming through in every single one of us, growing and growing and growing. And then from verse 2, Paul really starts to get into some of the specifics. Doesn't, doesn't hear what it means, and we'll go through these quite quickly. But first of all, he says they are to be blameless in verse 2, or being above reproach. Not sinless, because none of us are, but blameless. All the qualities which follow should be consistent in their life. The Greek word literally means not arrested. In other words, there's nothing in their life which requires rebuke. No elder will ever be perfect. There'll never be an elder who never makes a mistake. But you're to seek out those who, despite their failings and their weaknesses, have demonstrated themselves to be consistent. They've never, in any obvious way, brought shame upon the gospel or upon Christ or upon the name of God. They're a good example for others to follow. They're men who, when they do get things wrong, they demonstrate their maturity in the faith by sorting out those things promptly and biblically and with repentance and with humility. Men who can humbly acknowledge when they've made a mistake 
and put it right and who are ready to forgive others when wrongs are done against them. And Paul provides a list of qualifications which we'll put under a few headings. He, he talks about men who have sexual fidelity. Well, that's really important in the world in which we live, isn't it? There's not much of that around sometimes. But it has to be found in the church. He talks about family leadership and he talks about uprightness. And just think about the world in which we live. How many of the problems that we have in the society in which we live are down to men, husbands and fathers who fail in their duties and responsibilities in their home and in their families? How many of the problems that young men have are due to the absence of a father in the home or the presence of a father who's absolutely useless as a father to them? Paul is talking about the highest standards of conduct and integrity to which all believers should be striving. We should all be striving towards these things. And some of them, he puts them in the negative, what you are not to be and what you are not to do. And some of them, he puts them in the positive, what you should be and what you should be doing. He talks about sexual fidelity in verse 2, the husband of one wife. Some argue that this means that all elders must be married, but most are agreed that the point here is sexual purity, sexual fidelity and faithfulness. Men who are guilty of previous sexual indiscretion are barred from eldership. Serving elders who fall into sexual sin must be removed from eldership. Of course, they may be restored as members in the church. God willing, they would be. And they can be useful in the life of the church in the future. But they could not serve as elders in the church because they have to be of the highest example to all around. As Paul says, if a man has been unfaithful to his wife, you have to wonder how seriously he will take being faithful to Christ and his church. And so the elders must be role models in Christian marriage, devoted to their one wife. They must have eyes only for their wife, have love only for their wife. And so Paul lays this high standard for us in sexual fidelity for those who would hold office in the church. So it's an important thing for all Christians to think about. It's an important thing for the young men in the church to think about. If you desire the position of a bishop, says Paul, you desire a good thing. If you're thinking to yourself, one day I would like to think that I at least have the the qualities in my life that the church might think to consider me. And it's not the being appointed to the position that's the key thing in your heart. It's actually having the character and so you need to think earnestly about all of these things. There might be things that you, that you take on board in your life early on in your Christian faith and they don't shipwreck your faith. They don't mean that you can't be a member of the church. They don't mean that you can't be useful. They don't mean that you can't be a servant in the church. 
but it may bar you from certain things. Because these offices are so high, so important within the life of the church. He talks in verses 4 and 5 about family leadership. There are many similarities between family headship and eldership. If it weren't the case, then Paul wouldn't use it. Uh, so importantly, two whole verses, he, he uses this situation. What's, what's the home life like? What's family life like under their roof? Is it ordered? Is it orderly? Is Christ central? Does his relationship with his wife bear out the Bible's requirements of love and of giving of self? Are his children well-behaved and morally upright? Uh, some would suggest that it means that your children have to be converted. I don't hold to that, and many people don't hold to that. But rather that their children are well-behaved, their children are respectful of their parents. Um, the children are, if they're unsaved, they're as morally upright as you could expect an unsaved person to be. They have respect and honour for their parents. Is this someone who has clearly sought to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord? All of these things are crucial. Is there evidence of these things? Is this man a faithful and godly husband and father? And so we see the, the importance of home life within the life of the church. It's really important. We need to take so seriously uh, what things are like in our homes and as much as we are able uh, to follow the pattern of the Bible. He talks about them being upright. There's uprightness that is required in these men. Men who don't anymore allow their lives to be conformed to the patterns of the world but lives that have indeed been transformed by the renewing of their mind. These are men who think biblically. These are men who think Christianly. Uh, these are men who, who have their lives ordered by the word of God. These are men who are spiritually minded in their decisions and in all that they do. And if you think this is an exhausting list, an, an exacting list, um, Paul adds even more items when he repeats this exhortation to Titus. In Titus chapter 1, he adds even more things to the list there. So all of these, all of these qualities of Christian character are to be found in these men, just as they're to be found in all of us. And then there are these things that are said. Some of the things he says in the negative, you must not be this, you must not do this. And then there are others found in the positive, you should be doing this. What are the negative things that are there? Uh, what, what are they not to do? Well, the first thing is in verse 3, not given to wine. The Greek is actually not staying near wine. In other words, someone uh, who, who can't live without it. They can't be someone who can't live without it. An elder must not be a man who always has to have a drink in his hand. And definitely a man who has never been lost in drunken stupor. Because an elder in the church needs to be permanently in control of his faculties all the time. 
a Christian is not prohibited from drinking alcohol, neither is an elder. But an elder will be happy either to, either to completely abstain or to carefully restrain his consumption of alcohol. And he'll certainly never be under the control or the influence of it. It can't be so. You'll actually find warnings and ex exhortations of a similar type in the Old Testament directed to those who are appointed to important positions within the life of Israel. The priests in Leviticus chapter 10. Three times Samson has that exhortation put to him. Those who are kings and rulers in Proverbs chapter 31 they are not ever to be in the position where alcohol has got the better of them. You cannot have this kind of reputation. You need to be constantly clear-minded, clear-thinking men. And actually all of us as believers, we ought always to be clear-minded people. There must never be anything that's entered our bodies or entered our minds that means that we cannot think as we ought to think about spiritual things or about Christ or about God's Word. We need constantly to be clear-minded people. Thirdly, not violent, not one who strikes. Well, it's kind of obvious, I would hope. Uh, there's no place in the eldership for one who meets out abuse, physical or psychological or in any other way, upon anyone else. There's no place for aggression of this type in the life of any Christian, and certainly not in the life of an elder. An elder cannot be a man who intimidates. There's no place for intimidation within the life of the church, and it should never come from an elder towards one of the members. No violence of any sort, gentleness, kindness. Not greedy for money, verse 3. Uh, the authorised version puts it, not greedy of filthy lucre. That's a great phrase, isn't it? Because actually, not greedy for money doesn't quite hit the mark. It is that, but it includes the sense of being ready to do anything to get it. It's as much about how you make that money as it is about being greedy for it. It's as much about what you're prepared to do to get that money as it is about actually having it. No dishonesty, no lack of integrity. You can't be an Arthur Daly, dodgy, dealing kind of man. If you're a businessman, there's no place for dubious business practices in your life. How can one who will shepherd the Church of Christ be like that elsewhere? not quarrelsome. Uh, again, the authorised version puts it, not a brawler, peaceable. Someone who doesn't go out to stir up trouble. Not someone who enjoys a good argument and who enjoys causing them and who enjoys continuing them and making sure that they never end. Not someone who'll take any opportunity to start an argument not someone who at the merest hint of trouble has his sleeves rolled up ready to take on all comers. Not a quarrelsome character, but one who seeks peace amongst the Lord's people. <coughs> not covetous, 
Someone who's learned to be content in God. Someone, someone who is quite content with their lot in life. Because they have everything that they need in Christ. Not covetous. Someone who's never sidetracked or influenced by worldly motives or affections. Someone who has no concern about making a name for themselves or earning themselves a certain kind of reputation. There's no covetousness in them at all. Not a novice, verse 6, and the Greek is not newly planted. Not someone who's only new to the faith. Not a young sapling, but a mature tree is the image here. Mature with deep roots, strong branches, healthy growth, good fruit. One who's had time to to show themselves and prove themselves. Not a novice, but someone who's had time to grow and mature and put down deep spiritual roots in the faith and in Christ. And again, isn't that what all of us want to be as Christian believers? The tree planted by the water, bearing much fruit. So there are certain things that they must not be, and then there are certain things that they must be and that they must do. They must be temperate, verse 2, moderate, not extreme, not given to be swaying from one position to another, from one mood to another. We might use the phrase, on an even keel, on an even keel emotionally, and more importantly, on an even keel spiritually, temperate. I used to work with a a man who was my boss and he was one of those people, you'd go into work each morning and you didn't have a clue what he was going to be like. You could never read him. Some days he'd tear a strip off you and you wouldn't have the faintest idea why. And the next day he'd be the nicest guy in the world and leave you totally confused. You just didn't know what you faced with him. Elders can't be like that. No Christian should be like that. Sober-minded, verse 2, safe in mind, a godly thinker, someone of sound judgment, someone with a godly biblical wisdom, sober-minded, of good behaviour, godly, orderly, disciplined, reliable, trustworthy. So the first of these three are describing someone who exercises godly self-control over their thought life, over their emotional life, over their speech, over their conduct. Self-control is, after all, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so these are to be found in all of us. Then they're to be hospitable, which literally means a lover of strangers, or we might say being fond of guests. One who is welcoming to all. One who makes himself and all of his resources available to others. Always there for you. And then able to teach. And this is the one thing that really 
stands out as different uh, to the qualifications for deacons. Someone who knows God's truth and someone who's able to pass it on to others, which doesn't necessarily mean that they've got what it takes to stand and preach Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. What they can do is sit down with someone with an open Bible and teach them the Word of God and show them what it means and show them how to apply it into their own lives. And it may mean that some elders do what I'm doing most Sundays from a pulpit like this. It may mean that others do most of what they do in their home or in the home of someone else with an open Bible. But they're able to teach. You don't have to be scintillating in the pulpit. But you need to be able to instruct people in the Word of God. Because that is the main role of an elder. And to be gentle. The word literally means to be appropriate. To have a calm and peaceful and gracious spirit with all. And then to have a good testimony with unbelievers. So these godly traits ought to be recognised by all the people that this man has dealings with, not just within the life of the church. Everywhere this person goes, all the people he rubs shoulders with through the week, there ought to be something about him that makes him stand out from all the rest. Something about that man that's very good. I often don't agree with the things that he says. I find some of the truths that he tries to talk to me about rather offensive. But I can't get away from the fact that there's just something about him that's so very good. Don't you want to be like that in your family, amongst your neighbours, your colleagues at work? Isn't that how every Christian should be? To live such a life that even though they may find the truths that you speak about and that you stand up for most offensive, there's just something about your life that's unquestionably good. Just honesty, trustworthiness, integrity, humility, kindness, helpfulness. One of the best ways that Satan can try and severely damage a local church and to damage its witness is when a member of that church falls into public shame and disgrace. And of course, those that have the biggest impact are the elders of a church when they fall into public shame or disgrace. And sadly, if we went round the room, we could actually recount dozens of examples between us where that's happened. And the entire reputation of the church is ruined because of what one man did or didn't do. Eldership is a high office indeed. But it's really important to remember that all of us, male or female, have come under a call. And it is a high call. And it's a holy call. It's the call of the gospel. It's the call of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to come out of the world and be different. To come out of the world and be totally transformed. And to have everything about you completely changed by the grace and word of God and under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a call which says, forsake all to follow me, to love me, to know me, to serve me, and even this, to be like me. Who is sufficient for these things? Elders must be this. So must you. How? Well, through Christ, by God's grace, in His mercy, through the power of His Holy Spirit, as we humbly give of ourselves to Him. The qualifications for elders is actually a wonderful description of the Christian life for every single one of us. So please do pray. Pray for those of us who serve as elders in the church. What a thing Christ has called us to do. But pray the same for one another. Because this is the walk that all of us have been called to walk. This is the life that all of us now have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That together we might declare him. That together people might see his power and grace at mercy and mercy at work in us and through us. That we are those who are people of the word. And that there's nothing else like it in this world than to know Christ and to walk with him day by day. what it is to be an elder. And we trust in God's grace that in these coming months there will be a man, men, who together as the Lord's people we can see are rightly qualified that together as a church we can appoint them to this important office within the life of the church that's so necessary for our spiritual good now and in the future. Well, may the Lord bless us and help us take one of those sheets and use it to prayerfully consider the way forward for us as a church. But use it also to examine yourself in the light of God's word to see that you are in the faith and walking with your Saviour as you should. May he help us all in all of these things. And none of us of ourselves are sufficient. We need every day, constantly, moment by moment, that the Holy Spirit would come sweeping through us, reviving us always in the things of Christ and his word.